We all like to hear words which uh, bring comfort and encouragement and joy and happiness. We're not always all that keen on more sober or somber words. But we pray that as we consider this undoubtable truth from your word, that you have set a day when you will judge the world in righteousness by the man you have appointed. Lord, grant that we may recognise this as an integral and necessary part of your message to human beings. And grant us, we pray, to understand and take aboard that which you bring to us through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I hope you've noticed the, the, the title uh, on the, uh, the back page, really, where it says, A Particularly Inconvenient Truth. A Particularly Inconvenient Truth. And it's based on uh, that passage which we read from uh, Acts chapter 17 when Paul spoke to the, uh, the people of Athens and he made it very clear to them, and you see it there on the front, he, that is God, has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And, and I hope to make it clear why that is a particularly inconvenient truth to many people. Perhaps those words, an inconvenient truth, perhaps they were a ring a bell for some of you because a few years ago now there was a documentary film which went by that title. And that documentary film, An Inconvenient Truth, was promoted by a former US Vice President, Al Gore. And according to that documentary, the inconvenient truth that Al Gore wanted to emphasise was Global warming. Global warming. Nowadays, of course, global warming is, is not the right wording. Now we call it climate change. But it's still really talking about the same thing. We're constantly being told, aren't we, uh, in all sorts of ways, that we need to reduce our carbon footprint. Interesting, that's the message that Al Gore uh, took around the world. Didn't just make a film, but he travelled around the world uh, doing that, it was discovered that his monthly electricity bill was the equivalent of the average American's annual electricity bill. And yet he was telling everybody about cutting down on our carbon footprint. You might remember too that uh, uh, there was an Australian delegation which went to the, the conference in Copenhagen uh, which ended up not doing anything. The Australian delegation, the cost of sending the Australian delegation was almost one and a half million dollars. We had 68 delegates at that conference in Copenhagen and getting them to the conference created about 1,800 tonnes of carbon dioxide. And yet what was the message that was supposed to be coming out of it? Cut down the carbon footprint. Now, I confess to being pretty much a sceptic in relation to global warming or climate change. I'm most particularly 
um, a sceptic in relation to mankind's ability to reduce it. Now, you, of course, you may have made up your own mind. You can make up your own mind about where the truth lies and how inconvenient it is. But that's just by way of illustration and introduction by saying there's no room for denying the inconvenient truth of God's word. There it is. God has set a day when he will judge the world. And for many, that is an inconvenient truth. There are, of course, many inconvenient truths. We live, as you would know, in a society which is often described as being postmodern, postmodern society. A postmodern society is when where all truths are said to be relative. Well, it might be true for you, but something else is true for me. It's as if truth can uh, jump around like that. Uh, a postmodern society is a society where there's no ultimate or absolute truth. And in fact, if there's one thing that postmoderns insist in absolutely is absolutely true, it's this that there are no absolutes. That's a society in which uh, Pontius Pilate may well have felt at home. Remember the, the question that Jesus. Uh, that Pilate asked Jesus, he said, what is truth? As if it's something negotiable. Well, our, our postmodern world notwithstanding, there are many truths which we would normally class as being inconvenient. Some of them, of course, have more importance than others. But, for instance, is it not self-evidently true that eating garlic will give you garlic breath? That's a truth. It may be inconvenient, but it's a truth. Eating junk foods is unhealthy. You will grow into your father or mother. You are getting older. They're all truths. Inconvenient, but they're still truths. And there are some of these inconvenient truths which apply to uh, the Christians and, and to the church today. It's no longer the in thing to be a Christian or, or to go to church regularly. And the biblical position on matters such as homosexuality and abortion and, and adultery and euthanasia, for example, they are, they are belittled or ignored. The Reformation teachings to which the Presbyterian Church holds of the uniqueness of the Bible, of the uniqueness of Jesus Christ, of being saved by grace alone through faith alone, those, that, that's said to be intolerant, intolerant and unacceptable today. But surely, surely, among the Bible's many attributes, one of its most important is its truthfulness. Its truthfulness. Uh, here's a very abbreviated list of inconvenient truths in relation to entering the kingdom of God. Truths, which, of course, which we get from the Bible. They all come from the lips of Jesus, and they all start with the word unless... Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and scribes, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you are converted and become like children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
And those three, as I say, out of a very abbreviated list, those three are very inconvenient if we think that, uh, that our entering into the kingdom of God is a foregone conclusion. If you think that everyone will enter, if you think that you can buy your way in, if you think that you're good enough, then Jesus' pronouncements are most inconvenient, aren't they? Most inconvenient. The inconvenient truth that I'm bringing to your attention today is the direct declaration by God that he has fixed the day when, a day when he will judge the world. Now, in fact, God has done this before. He's done it again and he'll, he's done it before and he will do it again. Let me remind you of, of two, maybe three, examples of God judging the world. He judged the world in Adam's day. He judged the world in Noah's day. And he judged the nation of Israel in Jeremiah's day. And in each case, in each case, no one could say, oh, I didn't get any warning about this. It's come completely out of the blue. Let, let me just... Concentrate, first of all, in Adam's day. In Adam's day. Because, look, picture the scene. Here are Adam and Eve. They're made in the image of God. They're blessed by God. They're given dominion over the earth and its creatures. They're provided for in every way, including having fellowship with God. They're given a clear commandment. From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. They're given a clear commandment and they are warned of the consequences of disobedience. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. But then convinced by the serpent that this restriction on his freedom was most inconvenient, Adam and Eve decided to risk the consequences. And judgment came, didn't it? Judgment came. What about in Noah's day? Well, you know, the disobedience that began with Adam and Eve was part and parcel of the lives of their descendants. And from the days of Adam to the days of Noah, that uh, disobedience, that increased and multiplied. It reached the point where the Lord, we're told, was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. And if you've had a rebellious son or daughter, then you perhaps have got some idea of how God felt. But the point is, judgment became inevitable. And it was sweeping and it was severe, wasn't it? Noah and his family, eight people in all, were the only survivors of that flood. And during the 120 years that he spent building the ark, Noah, we're told, was also a preacher of righteousness. In other words, this indicates that there were those who ignored him, those who took no notice, but they couldn't say they hadn't been warned. But somehow Noah's message of the need of righteousness, that was too inconvenient. And the people who heard him decided to risk the consequences. They went on eating and, drink and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. And judgment came, didn't it? Judgment came. 
And in Jeremiah's day, very briefly, of course, Jeremiah warned the people again and again of what would happen if they continued in their rebellion. And judgment eventually came and the Jews were carried off to Babylon. So the inconvenience of a day of judgment came upon Adam and Eve and upon Noah's generation and upon the people of Jeremiah's day. And it's going to come again. God has fixed a day when he will judge the world. How will it be for you? Will it be inconvenient? Well, God has indeed judged the world on previous occasions, but never as comprehensively and ultimately as he will on that day. And in fact, words seem hardly adequate to describe it. We, we can think about weapons of mass destruction, and they're frightening when you come to think of them, aren't they? The nuclear missiles and the bombs and the stockpiles that different nations have, the destruction and the havoc that they can cause, it's frightening. And especially in the last few months, uh, we've been staggered by the destructive powers of nature, haven't we? We've seen it in all sorts of ways. And not bushfires so much, but, but of floods, of storms, of, of tsunamis, of earthquakes. So there have been some volcanic eruptions and so on. Uh, and we see it on TV and we see the enormous, enormous effect of those natural disasters, as we call them. It's interesting, if you compare man's efforts with those of nature, man's actually pale by comparison. I read somewhere that a mature hurricane is by far the most powerful event on Earth. The combined nuclear arsenals of the US and the former USSR don't contain enough energy to keep a hurricane going for even a day. A typical hurricane, on the other hand, could provide all the electric power needed by the United States for three to four years. So that's why I say, man, man's efforts are, are puny compared to nature's, but... What is even nature's destructive power when we compare it with the day of the Lord? The day of the Lord. Listen to Peter again. The present heavens and earth are being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. What's going to happen? The heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. That day, Peter says, will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. So forget about your nuclear weapons. Forget about hurricanes. Think about God's judgment. And all of that will be scary enough, won't it? But, you know, it's not the scariest thing. It's not the scariest thing. The scariest thing is that it's all connected with the day of judgment. Not just destruction, but of judgment. God's judgment of me and of you. Every thought, every word, every action brought out into the open. 
So let me ask you, what, what is your reaction to this statement? God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice. Because there will be those who scoff, as they did in Peter's day. Where is the promise of his coming? Nothing's going to change. I'm all right, Jack. But there will be those who take heed before it happens. Jesus put it this way. Whoever believes in him, that is, of course, is in Jesus himself as the Son of God, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So again I ask, what's your reaction to this statement? Is it an inconvenient truth that you'll ignore or scoff at or, or deny? Or is it a statement that challenges you to be ready? Will that day be for you a day to be dreaded with fear or to be anticipated with joy? That uh, hymn that we just sang... Uh, uh, is one of a number of hymns which major on this fact of judgment. And can I invite you, uh, unusually, to turn to, because we're going to sing it shortly, hymn number 259. Uh, and, and as well as singing it, I'd like to read it through too, because the, it's, uh, the words here are so significant and so important, and they put it out so clearly as to what the situation will be on that day when Jesus comes to judge the world in justice. So if you just, as I say, we're going to sing it shortly, but please follow along now because it's uh, so, so important. Great God, what do I see and hear? The end of things created. The judge of all the earth comes near on clouds of glory seated. The trumpet sounds, the graves restore the dead which they contained before. Prepare my soul to meet him. That's the obvious thing to do, isn't it? And then we're told the dead in Christ shall first arise at that last trumpet sounding, caught up to meet him in the skies with joy their Lord surrounding. No gloomy fears their souls dismay. His presence brings eternal day for those prepared to meet him. We should make every effort to be amongst those, shouldn't we? Because sinners filled with guilty fears shall see his wrath prevailing, for they shall rise and find their tears and sighs are unavailing. The day of grace is past and gone. They, trembling, stand before the throne, all unprepared to meet him. Great God, what do I see and hear? The end of things created. The judge of all the earth comes near on clouds of glory seated. And at his cross, at his cross, this is where the difference is made. It's those who realise that through Christ's death upon the cross and through faith in that Christ, that's what prepares us for this day. At his cross I view the day when heaven and earth shall pass away and thus prepare to meet him. You notice, notice the alternatives? Condemnation or commendation. 
unpreparedness or preparedness to meet him. These verses are proclaiming the truth about this great day, even if it's an inconvenient truth. By way of summary, let me say this. God tells us that he will not endlessly put up with our toxic behaviour or polluted relationships and will not endlessly absorb our arrogance and rejection towards him. He made us and he will judge us. This judgment is coming. Jesus, who died on the cross for sin and rose from the dead, will return to judge all those who have ignored him. And so there are two questions, urgent questions, I need to press upon you today. You can be in denial about climate change, and that may or may not be of significance. But we need, dare not be in denial about the coming of Jesus in judgment. That being the case, have you prepared to meet him? Are you ready to meet him? Let us pray. Great God, you have, in your grace and mercy, declared that there is a day coming when your Son, the Lord Jesus, will return in power and great glory. You have warned us again and again, warnings that come even through natural disasters, but most especially from your word, to be prepared for that great and awesome day. We ask, Lord, that indeed it may be true for us and our loved ones that we are, through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus, able to look forward to that day with joy and anticipation rather than with fear or dread. May it be true for each one of us, Lord, and may it affect the way that we live. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.